0: Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm so excited that you are listening and you have this to look forward to from today's message. The bad son, we could describe this away. He was irresponsible, rarely obedient, seemingly wished his father was dead, gutted the family fortune, squandered his inheritance on prostitutes and wild living. The older son, the good son, works hard in the field. He's always obedient to his father. He's very spiritual, he obeys the 10 commandments, he prays and he reads the Bible. And what Jesus teaches us is that they're both lost and alienated from the Father. Welcome to Hope for the Day with Pastor Philip Holland. Knowing where we stand with God is perhaps one of the most important questions we can ask. We understand that those who are immoral are going to be far from God, but sometimes even those who are moral can be far from God too. It's in this story of the prodigal son that Jesus teaches us whether we are moral or immoral. We all need his grace to be right with him. Please enjoy the message. Now, last week, this week, next week, we're focusing in on Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal son. And there's an element of this story that that is relevant and true to all of us in which we've all drifted from God. But what we're dealing with today is that there's an aspect that Jesus deals with in His ministry an aspect of lostness that that creates a whole new category because we understand that when you're bad, uh, whenever you disobey God, we understand that does cause us to go off as we found out to a distant country that's in essence a rejection of faith. Maybe your entire. Life rejects faith, or maybe just an aspect of your life is not going to allow God to influence it. Whatever it is, it pushes you to that distant country. And then sadly, we often suffer consequences as a result of that. And then people come back, or you come back to the Lord, you come back to church. But then there's this new category that we're going to study today that that Jesus taught in his ministry. And it's one that's so important and so relevant to many of us. And it's not necessarily a category that deals with how bad we are. There's some actual consequences whenever we start to trust in how good we are as well. One example of that is an old painting from the 17th century that was done by Rembrandt. It's entitled The Return of the Prodigal Son. And I won't won't extrapolate and explain every aspect or detail of this painting, but there is some significance to this painting that's helpful for us to be aware of. One thing is the painting actually, it's displayed in St. Petersburg. It's eight feet tall, it's almost seven feet wide. It is a massive painting on a tapestry. But he was trying to communicate some things to us in this. And there's, there's parts of this painting that we need to understand from that time that that uh, painters would accentuate hands were important whatever's in the middle of the painting was important areas that where there's light where there's darkness other people in the painting all those all of those details matter and so what we see here is a person and because we know it's the story of the prodigal son we understand it's the son returning and he's disheveled he's broken he's hurting he's lost the shoe the other shoe is falling apart uh, and he's lost hair. He is clearly not healthy. Maybe the clothes that he's wearing used to be nice, but they're not nice anymore. And he has returned home, and it and it's in this return that he is being embraced. He's being embraced by a tired, weary, stressed out father who never seemingly stopped loving him, who never stopped having compassion and mercy. For him. And he has come. And then the red robe, it communicates wealth. There's even a, a certain sense of maybe even royalty that is connected with it. And then you have this advisor who's in the middle. He's not a part of the story, but he's, a, he's an estate advisor. At least that's what's assumed. And the father and the son are together. But the middle of the painting, there's a space. There's a darkness. There's a gap that is there. And that gap is there because really one of the other big parts of the story and even you could argue is the main part of the prodigal son story is the condition of the elder brother. It's the one whose hands are together because he's not going to accept in this son who has returned because he stayed at home and the son didn't stay at home. And it's also here that we see in not accepting this son that there is a bit of perhaps frustration on his face At the very least, there is certainly judgment that is on his face because he has stayed home. He has done what was expected of him. And he is not happy that this son has returned. And so he watches and he observes. And what Rembrandt is wanting to emphasize here with the gap in the middle is the gap in the relationship between the elder brother, the older brother, who was good, and the father. And how they are not connected. They are alienated from one another. In writing, in, in writing the book, I'm going to share with you in a second, Henry Now and The Return of the Prodigal God, he shares of Rembrandt's experience there. And he says this, as Rembrandt created this painting, he said Rembrandt is as much the elder son of the parable as he is the younger. That when during the last years of his life, he painted both sons in the return of the prodigal son, he had lived a life in which neither the lostness of the younger son nor the lostness of the elder son was alien to him. Both needed healing and forgiveness. Both needed to come home. Both needed the embrace of a forgiving father. But from the story itself, as well as from Rembrandt's painting, it is clear that the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed home. The conversion of the one who has continued to be good. The conversion of the one who has actually grown to depend on their own righteousness. And that was the older brother. And if we're honest, that's part of each and every one of us. Certainly those of us even that have called on Christ to be our Savior. There's a part of us that just starts to trust in our own unfortunate righteousness. Righteousness. And some of the qualities, often the that, that emotions that we can feel at times whenever that, begin, that elder brother spirit begins to take hold in us is we feel like we can't catch a break. We're giving, we're giving, we're serving, we're serving. We're doing the things that we're supposed to do. We're obeying the Ten Commandments. And it just seems like somebody else always catches that big break that we can't seem to get. It's, it's whenever emotions like anger and bitterness begin to take root in our hearts because maybe somebody has, has indeed done us wrong. Maybe somebody has indeed sinned against us. And that elder brother spirit begins to come out. It's, it's that sibling of yours that always seems to be taken care of more so than you. It's that sibling of yours that parent, your parents are always focused on them and not as focused on you. And then we begin to become frustrated. We begin to become angry. We begin to become bitter because of that. And and in some cases, those, those feelings are very justified. But what we don't realize is that in the course of that, we know this from our earthly standpoint, that relationship with our parent begins to be tarnished. There's a separation that takes place because of that. And what Jesus is teaching and what that painting is communicating is that that is the same thing that we can do with our heavenly father as well. And when you look at the context of Luke 15, What you realize is that Jesus' primary focus here, the primary target of this whole story is the religious leaders. It's the Pharisees. It's the ones who are depending on their own righteousness and not on on a a future Messiah who's going to come and sacrifice himself for them. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. And we know this because whenever you look at the context, you look at the very beginning of Luke 15, this is what it says there. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, Jesus. And so they're they're the ones that are coming from the distant country. We understand that. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus heard this, he saw this, and he said, all right, I'm going to tell you some stories. And he tells a story of a sheep who's lost. And the shepherd goes and finds the sheep. He tells the story of a coin who is lost. What's interesting about those is I don't really know. The coin certainly didn't know it was lost. The sheep might have had a sense that something was wrong, but probably still didn't know it was lost. And then he tells this story. And he talks about these sinners and these tax collectors and these people who are finally returning to the father, like that son. And then he transitions to the elder brother. And he talks about him. Now, we have to understand, as we're looking at the context here, how you would describe these people. You've got the tax collectors and the religious. The tax collectors, you would describe this away. They seek independence and view truth as relative to the circumstance. They believe the world would be a better place if tradition, authority, and other barriers to personal freedom were completely removed. That's the irreligious in our world. We we have plenty of that in our world. And we all know, we ought to know that that, that if, you, if you entirely embrace this approach to life, there's going to be significant consequence. Just again, from a worldly standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, there's absolutely going to be that. But then there are the religious. There are those that have done it right. You've come to church. You've, you've lived that life. But if we aren't careful, then we can start to have expectations of God that he needs to do things for us because we have done certain things for him. And we transition from having a faith to a formula that we live by. And that's what the religious do. They're the moral conformists. They have a set of Sanders rules and laws to live by, which help them to have an assurance of being in a proper relationship with God because their relationship with God is not based on God coming to them. It's based on what they can do for God. Their motive to do right is motivated by guilt and is motivated by judgment. And it's easy for those in the church to acknowledge the people who are lost because we see that. It's, it's just obvious. Often they're the ones that are, are, are working through a felony. They're working through a misdemeanor. They're coming out of a prison. They're dealing with some major addiction. Maybe there was some lying and there was some cheating and there was some stealing. I mean, we can see that. Just like that painting, you could see the lostness of that son who returned. But it was so difficult to see the lostness of the elder brother who stayed. And so... The son returns, and how will the elder brother, how will this elder brother respond? Verse 25 of Luke 15. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Because there was a celebration that the one who was lost has now been found. The one who was dead is now alive. And as a church, we ought to always celebrate that return back to God. Whatever it looks like. There ought to be that celebration whenever somebody takes that great step of faith. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? At the very least, he's thinking man, there was a party and I just, I got left out. What's going on? Why wasn't I made aware of this? He's probably thinking to himself, finally, finally my dad's going to do for me what he should have always done for me. He's going to throw me the party. I'm going to be the one that gets celebrated. I'm going to be the one that gets lifted up. But then the servant says, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother would have certainly thought to himself, safe and sound, he needed to die. Because the older brother, what you see in the story, he's concerned about the father's things. If we aren't careful, we'll, our faith will be based upon what it is that God can give us. That, that was the fallacy of the lost, the, the, the lost son who ran away to a distant country. He said, Father, give me. Give me my share of the inheritance, right? I talked to some of you. You have kids that are doing that to you right now. You're like, give me my inheritance. Give me. My, I want my money now. You know, that, that's, it's, an odd, it's a very disrespectful thing now and certainly then. But we're saying give me because we know what's best. And the relationship that we have is based on the things that you've got that you can give to me. And the older brother wasn't any different. They both wanted the father's things and none of them just wanted the father. And so we come back into the story and the older brother, as a result of this, became angry and he refused to go in. And so his father went out and he pleaded with him. He comes to him. He comes to him because he's like, son, you need to be a part of this. We need to celebrate. The one who was lost has now returned. The one, the one who was who's gone, who he never thought was even going to be alive again. He has returned. Maybe you're doing that right now. He's trying to plead with him. He's sharing his heart with him. But in the midst of it all, the son is too angry to see everything that the father has given him and the father isn't enough. The bad son, we could describe this away. He was irresponsible, rarely obedient, seemingly wished his father was dead, gutted the family fortune, squandered his inheritance on prostitutes and wild living. The older son, the good son, works hard in the field. He's always obedient to his Father. He is very spiritual, he obeys the Ten Commandments, he prays and he reads the Bible. And what Jesus teaches us is that they're both lost and alienated from the Father. And I know that, that ought to, I know that maybe in your mind it seems unfair. And I know maybe for you, certainly for me, you feel a bit of tension because of that. And you can accept this, all right? That's your choice. Like just to be super clear, like you don't have to embrace what Jesus is teaching. This is definitely the message. And this is actually what every other religion in the world teaches. You be good, you obey the commandments, you trust in yourself, you keep control of your eternity and see how that works out. You can be bad and and throw, throw everything to the wind, Caution to the wind, live however you wanna live and see how that works out for you. But what Jesus is saying is that either way, if you're not trusting in me, you're gonna end up being lost. And it's out of that grace and that mercy and that compassion that we can live. We can truly live a life that, that indeed brings us to church. Indeed, it causes us to care for others. It causes us to be forgiving. When we maybe the world would say, you don't have to be forgiving. It's, it's that mercy, it's that sacrifice, that love that he gave us, that can change the uniqueness of the gospel that can truly change the way you live your life. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I know that it has been to others. You see, it is through the generous contributions of people like you that this ministry can thrive and get God's truth out into the world. I recently received a card from someone who said, Thank you for these messages on Hope for the Day. They are encouraging and refreshing as we get the opportunity to hear biblically-centered teaching that continually points people to Christ. And that is just one of several notes that we have received of those who appreciate the teaching here at Hope for the Day. Let me, let me illustrate it for you this way. I, I've, I've shared something along these lines in the past, but, but, it, but I have to share something like this because I think it, it just communicates the, what the gospel really is for us that we got to grab a hold of. It'd be, it'd be like this. I'm, I'm here all week because, yes, because I don't just work on Sundays, all right? so I'm here. I'm working. I'm so concerned about your eternity and your salvation. And that is a heavy burden to care carry. And people are dealing with things. And so you try to talk to people about that stuff too. And I try to offer some guidance. And, and I'm worried about the future of the church. And I'm, I'm doing all these different things. And it's all this weight and burden, et cetera, et cetera. And I come home and I just plop down in a chair. And all I want to do is turn on the TV and watch something. But just as soon as I do that, again, this is entirely hypothetical. My wife comes over to me and she's angry at me. She's like, what are you doing? Why are you sitting in the chair? There's so much that has to get done here at this house. There's grime on the bathtub. The shower pan needs to be cleaned. The toilets need to be cleaned. There's laundry that hasn't been folded. I've been slaving here all day for you. What are you doing? And then she grabs a bucket with with a brush and she just throws it at me. Now, in that moment, I'm going to be upset for sure, but I'm also probably just going to end up doing what it is I'm being told to do. And I'm going to go in that bathroom and I'm going to be like, I'm I'm working all week long to provide for this family and help all these people. And this is what I get for it. And I'm cleaning and I'm scrubbing and I'm just getting angrier and angrier and frustrated and more frustrated. But then imagine... I come home, all that same stuff's going on. I'm tired, I'm worn out, and I sit down, and I turn on the TV, and then all of a sudden my wife comes up behind me. She starts rubbing my shoulders. She starts telling me how good I am. Oh, you do so good at preaching sermons. and, and, And she's telling me that... Oh, I'm a great father and I'm such a loving husband. And she's like whispering in my ear, kind of blowing on it. And, and then she's saying, she's, this is very hypothetical. <laughs> and then she's saying, I made your favorite meal and it's sitting on the table. Oh, and by the way, would you care to go and clean the tub? It's got some grime on it and the toilets haven't been tended to in a while. Would you care to do that for us? I'm gonna, be like, yeah, okay. And I'm popping out of the chair and I'm, I'm on my toes in the bathroom, like, ah, the big smile on my face. Not, can't wait, can't wait to eat my favorite meal and everything's great and happy. And the same thing is going on in both homes as far as what is getting done and cleaned, but the motivation and the motive is totally different. And that's what you have in Jesus that God looked at you and he grabbed a hold of you and he said, I love you. You're a child of mine and, and, and I've got this great future for you. And there's this community that you're going to get to live life with and you don't have to trust in how good you are because my son has been good for you and I love you. And these are all the things that I want you to do. And this is the life that I want you to live. And it's so much easier to live from that. But if you're coming at it like, oh, it's such a burden and, I, and I've, I'm getting cheated and I've had all these bad things happen to me. And in some cases we have. But what he offers us in Jesus is so much more greater, so much more significant and impactful to us if we allow it. But if we don't, we're going to end up just like that painting where there's a lost son who finally gets it. And he stops saying, Father, give me because I know what's best, and he finally says, "Father, make me a servant of yours, because you know what's best." And the elder brother hasn't figured it out yet. And there is some characteristics of that spirit that can be in us. There is some characteristics of that spirit when we're trusting in our own righteousness, and this this is some of them. We'll, we'll look again at some of the text. Verse twenty-eight: The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. One of the common characteristics of an elder brother's spirit is anger and bitterness about life not going our way. And it doesn't. That there's bankruptcies and there's divorce and there is, unfortunately, there can be death at a very young age. There can be sickness at a young age. There can be challenges in our workplaces. There can be layoffs. There can be recessions. And we can be angry and bitter that God hasn't carried his end of the bargain because of that. But what's interesting What's interesting is that when we look at Jesus, he doesn't look at it that way. First Peter said it this way, that when they hurled their insults at him. I mean, here's this guy, he he lived a perfect life. He helped people. He blessed people. Sure, he got on some people here or there a little bit, told them not to sin anymore, and he told the religious people not to judge people, and he turned over a table a time or two, which who hasn't done that? But, but Jesus had a few moments for sure. But, but the reality is, it's like he was mainly just helping people. And then what did he get for that? Insults. And how did he respond? Not with anger and bitterness. He didn't retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, and this is key, he entrusted himself. He had faith in his heavenly father. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly and that'll help with that anger and bitterness it's just giving giving that situation giving ourselves over to our heavenly father and then we go on in verse 29 and when he answered his father look all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders he felt like he wasn't he didn't feel like he was a son he felt like he was a slave there was a joyless obedience to everything that he did. And when we start to drift into that space, like and many of you serve in this church and you help this church and you are helping this church to, to be all that it's being. And the reason why we don't have room right now in this service is because many of you are serving and you serve with joyful hearts. It's, that's a wonderful thing. And we get it when we get that. But we can have this Well, unfortunately, we have to bring today's message to a close. But my hope is that the word that was spoken was an encouragement to you. That's always our hope here at Hope for the Day. Did you know that these messages are recorded at Valley View Christian Church every Sunday?